Welcome back to another episode of Critical Compensation. This is your host, Logan Reed, compensation analyst within the Kansas City metro area. Today we have 10 stories we cover and topic of compensation, um, jobs, um, changes related to compensation. So let's begin. First story is coming out of the Washington Post. Already facing its worst crisis since 9-11, airline industry set to cut more than 35,000 jobs this week. Janine Balistruz, having the wings of United Airlines flight attendant, ceremonially pinned her chest was a fulfillment of a dream she'd held on to for years. I'm going to make it, she recalls thinking. I'm going to have some security, a retirement, a 401k. This is an amazing job. I was just so happy. I said 2020 is going to be my year, January 2nd. They go on to note about how the virus hit. They see the decline in the the people flying and being furloughed. She said, I felt feel kind of abandoned by our representatives. She, who is based in um, San Francisco. Leaders of her union, the Association of Flight Attendants, along with other labor groups and airline heads, were in Washington last week, the Washington Post note. Post notes to make a final push for an extension of financial aid known as the Payroll Support Program. At news conferences in the shadow of the Capitol on Tuesday afternoon, their frustration was clear. The United Airlines Chief Executive Scott Kirby said, What Congress and the administration did back in March was a remarkable effort to save the U.S. economy and to save aviation. His airline employs employs 79,000 people received $5 billion in the first corona relief package. But this is taking longer than most people expected six months ago, and the reality is we need to do more to keep those professionals and to keep their support of the economy intact, he said. Lawmakers say they didn't intend to create a precept when they gave airliners an additional $25 billion in aid. They thought that the virus would be under control by now. They do about 700,000 passengers a day, a third of its normal rate. So they're trying to come to terms with this. They're seeing that 1,800 U.S. planes have been parked. 40 to 50% of freight typically moves in passenger jets. And 35,000 are already facing furlough in the industry. Um... Cuts to service are likely to follow the job losses, the Washington Post notes. Furloughed employees will have the right to be called back to their old jobs, but industries and analysts expect the recovery to take years. Um, They say that, you know, the Federal Aviation Administration um, said that they have plans to incentivize travel while keeping passengers safe and healthy. Um, to create zero risk or to eliminate any chance of COVID, um, the official an official said with them bringing the highest level of health security into a system without making it burdensome that we can't fly. So they're trying to develop all these strategies around it. Um, you know, this is this is remarkable. Um, they've already gotten five billion dollars in uh, five point eight billion dollars in payroll support. 
uh, furloughing ten or nineteen thousand of its one hundred and seven thousand employees, um, United and American, and they're burning through one billion dollars a month. The airline agent, the airline companies are. Um, it, it's it's incredible this story, and people are being laid off. <laughs> they're having to borrow money. Um, pilots were offered about half of their pay, a Southwest pilot said in an interview. They declined to provide specific compensation figures, the Washington Post, Post notes. Um, they can call them back with a minimum of 30-day notice um, back to work. Um, so th- there's a lot of changes that are going on in terms of compensation in the aviation industry. Um, and a Southwest pilot said, um, in this article, the great thing is you're getting rid of your top earners. It helps all of us. (laughs) A lot of this guy, a lot of the guys love it. Just love it. They love what they do. The pilot said, but the package was so good. It really made people think there are a lot of people who wish they were in a position to take it myself included. So there we see again, you know, more competition between, uh, uh, jobs that this is kind of leading to and they're wanting to get rid of the people that are making more money so you know there's more money in in there for everybody else so I guess the philosophy or himself is the philosophy um, so check out this article um, maybe book a flight right um, it's just incredible how this compensation uh, people are being Pilots are being affected in the aviation industry. Others are being affected in this industry. And then think about all those that will be affected outside of that industry. It's just it's incredible to think about. But um, definitely stand with the unions that are are working to, to get the best deal possible for their workers. This next story is out of Reuters. Um, angry but determined. Portuguese workers protest for better wages amid pandemic. In Lisbon, thousands of workers gathered in cities and towns across Portugal on Saturday demanding higher wages and more government action to protect jobs threatened by the coronavirus pandemic. During the protest, organized by the the biggest umbrella union, the CGTP, workers were wearing masks and keeping a safe distance, urged the country's socialist government to raise the national minimum wage to 850 euros from the current 635 euros, the lowest in Western Europe. Workers' rights are increasingly being stolen, Annabella Vogo from trade union CESP as she marched to Lisbon's main square. The fear of the pandemic cannot take our rights away. Unemployment in Portugal rose above 400,000 in August, according to the latest data, and up more than a third on the same period last year, Reuters notes. In the southern Algarve region, which relies heavily on tourism, the number of people registered as unemployed soared as high as 170% in August compared to a year ago. Why is there so much money to support companies with investments and more randoms and then there's no political courage to stop the workers from being fired, said worker Louis Batista, who is visibly angry. The government, led by Prime Minister Antonio Costa, has introduced several measures to help business weather the coronavirus pandemic, including state-backed loans and delaying some tax payments. It has introduced a furlough scheme, allowing firms to temporarily release, suspend jobs, or reduce working hours instead of firing workers. But those at Saturday's protest believed the measures were not enough. 
Our governments mostly support companies and forgets about the workers, said glassmaker Pedro Milhero, who had joined the protest in Lisbon to express his frustration. More support is needed. You know, it's it's interesting that that this is going on because right now there's a lot of companies out there that are trying to take advantage of, unrelated to this, but they're trying to take advantage of products made in Portugal because it gives off the better name and that it's more ethical and etc. But this example, uh, the, this story is a perfect example of how that is, is not really the reality. And, um, this is one reason why I brought this story about because the, 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 the narrative is, you know, it's, it's a European country. It's, it's even a socialist country, right? And that they do all these good measures. It's ethical. It's is that no, um, that there's still work that needs to be done. The minimum wage is, is very, very low in, in Portugal. Um, that there's there's problems as as these protesters are noting in terms of um of wages and Portugal's doing a good job in terms of not trying to keep people from getting laid off um like we've talked about in previous episodes Germany is a good example of that but still you know that they have the lowest minimum wage in all of western europe it notes um, there's, there's problems with that. So people in Portugal keep, keep fighting. And I think this should inspire us all to, to make a fight against the minimum wage and demand higher wages because the minimum wage is way too low. We just talked about, uh, minimum wage, tip minimum wage, what, 213. And if you're disabled, it's 334. Um, so Yeah. Definitely put up a fight like like the people in Portugal are doing. I mean, kudos. There's an opinion piece that uh, came out in The Hill this week titled Essential Workers Deserve Essential Wages um, by a uh, Democratic North Carolina contributor. Um it says that minimum wage and low wage workers haven't received a raise in over a decade. Something we talk about on here. Threatens COVID threatens our our hourly workforce from every angle. Low wage workers have been the hardest hit by COVID job losses. Purchasing power of them of the people have decreased, and the infl- inflationary effect of necessary government spending and borrow to fight the virus may lower it further. People are watching their utility rent and credit card bills balloon and don't have a way to pay when the rent or mortgage finally comes due. In the contract of the virus, both the workplaces and the Trump administration are failing them by meet, not meeting and enforcing adequate safety measures at places where low, wagers, low, low wage workers tend to work, the person notes in this op-ed. Um, they say that they believe that workers deserve a raise. When they were a legislator in North Carolina, they noted they led a bill that gave our state its latest minimum wage increase. Last year, she voted to raise the Minimum Wage Act, which the Senate should bring to the floor for a vote immediately. She talks about the Rage, Raise the Wage Act, gradually increasing the federal minimum wage from 7.25 an hour to $15 an hour 
by 2025, double doubling it. Um, phases out the subminimum wage for tipped workers, youth workers, and workers with disabilities. Exactly what we were talking about last week. This is this is great. And 30 million workers, 151 in her district, would benefit from a minimum wage increase. She talks about how they've seen the wealth gap grow. Billionaires have benefited from the stock market rally, while millions on the other end have lost their jobs. Unemployment help has been uneven in some states. The unemployment benefit is so low, uh, it impoverishes the job seeker. Benefits aren't enough to pay current bills, let alone any, any, you know, anything extra. the The raise the wage act, she's arguing in this uh, op-ed, lift 1.3 million people out of poverty, including 600,000 children. She's a 40-year educator, and child poverty and child hunger has always been the forefront of her mind. 23 schools with food pantries and food insecure families and students um, that were established before COVID-19. And they're having, she knows, problems addressing these during in the time of COVID. And that essentially you need to raise people's wages so then people can take uh, care uh, of their families. And that it will also help close the gender pay gap for women. And uh, it'll provide $23 million, um, with a raise. $23 million women with a raise. Um, she is the chair of the House Education and Labor Subcommittee on Workforce Protections in the North Carolina's 12th Congressional District. Um, really great. Uh, what she's what she's uh, contributing here in this article and what she's contributed there in the Congress. We're going to definitely keep an eye out on this. This next story comes out of Fox Business, marriage linked to higher wages for some workers. Married men were found to out-earn their single counterparts. Positive effects for the U.S. economy correlates with higher earnings among men. Um... This research came, they note, from the St. Louis Federal Reserve. Um, they looked at uh, employed people between the ages of 60 and 64 with at least a high school diploma using data from 2016. Married men earn higher wages than single or married women, and married men earn higher wages than single men. Married men experienced higher peak earning than other groups, with peaked earnings for white men at 90000 and peaked earnings for black men at 62000 which are both above the average. Married white men worked the longest hours, but only slightly more than white single men and married black men, while white men earned significantly more mo- money per hour, whereas other groups earned comparable wages. On the flip side, single black men and single black women earned the least on average across all groups. The pattern did not hold true for married women, um, who earned similar incomes to their single counterparts. Researchers could not explain why marital status correlated with income and noted that it was subjected to change throughout one's individual lifetime. The One of the people says, uh, wrote, 
The analysis shows that even though important differences in earning among genders and races exist, the true outliers on the earning scale are more evident by their marital status. Marriage rates hit an all-time low in 2018, male falling to 6.5 marriages per 1,000 people. Wow. The decline in the marriage rate, however, has been observed since the 1980s. Rates have shown a particular decline among minority and those in the middle and lower economic quantiles. Quintiles. Quite incredible, this story. Um, I'm putting a link uh, down below uh, that was featured in this story, and it uh, has some really cool graphics and stuff and charts and stuff you might want to take a peek at. Why do you think it is, you know, discuss this among people you might, you know, talk to, converse with, um, and, and think why. I mean, there might be several reasons why, but moving on to the next one. This next story comes out of Tappan to Jersey City. High-rise luxury building workers walk off job and bid for fair wages. Healthcare. More than 100 Hudson County luxury rental building service workers, including door persons, porters, handymen, and others, walked off their jobs on Friday, demanding hazard pay as well as paid quarantine leave, holding a banner that read, Planned. Protect us like we protect the residents. The workers walked a picket line at their building before coming together in front of 77 Hudson and 99 Hudson two of the luxury residential buildings operated by Planned, the residential and commercial building services contractor. 99 Hudson is the tallest building in New Jersey and the third tallest condo building in the country. Wow. Workers are looking for a $2 an hour raise as well as a 14 days paid sick leave if they are forced into quarantine as a result of COVID-19. Kevin Brown Vice President of 32BJ and New Jersey State Director said, adding that workers are currently not getting any health benefits they need and they are making as little as $11 an hour. We're taking to the streets because Plant has yet again failed to respect workers' right to organize free from retaliation. Brown said, this is unconscionable at any time. During a pandemic, it's downright despicable. Um... Some workers had been intimidated for their organizing efforts, Brown said, a claim refuted by Ben Martin, a spokesman for the uh, plan, the organization plan, who said that the company respects the rights of workers to protest and that union assertions were wrong. Assertions were wrong. Uh, Martin said that the company provided health care benefits to its workers and established a $500,000 funds to help employees affected by the pandemic to fund to fund which the union would not contribute. Martin also said the company supplied safety equipment to its workers. We gave our workers $6 per hour hazard pay, and many of them are doing similar jobs as these workers are. We also pay our workers if they are quarantined. So, I don't know. Who do we believe here, right? This comes up quite a bit in our story. We have workers... A group of workers, a lot of workers alleging one thing. And then we have employers alleging another. 
So, I don't know. Um, but this brings up the subject of, and this is something I'm going to explore further in the Patreon um, in the coming months, but that is organization at, um, organizing at your organization um, in terms of a union if you don't already have one. Um, there are a lot of laws out there that employers have to follow in regards to that, and it's important that if you're serious about um, coming to pay equity and stopping pay inequity, that, that you'd be part of a union that collectively makes decisions, votes democratically or more democratically than our current um, makeup of organization. Um, then you would believe in the individual's right to unionize, like these people are doing, and, and like we advocate here on critical compensation. Because when workers come together, that is when workers make more income, make more compensation, and that's where you can come to pay, come closer to pay equity. There's gaps in it, things aren't perfect, and you gotta take small steps sometimes like a lot of the 15 hour minimum wage y you have to first gradually get to that $15 over the course of years has been set out you can't just run right into it some places have done that but again things come slowly and here at Critical Compensation, we want to see people's wages increase. We want to see people organizing and demanding um, at least a say in their wages when their voices aren't allowed to be heard by management and other people at the organization. Um, so this is a very interesting story. And again, this topic, if you're interested, will be covered on the Patreon um, to exclusive uh, members only. Um, kind of ordeal. So, I will announce that in November, December, beginning of the year, next year, 2021, when all that will be available. This next article comes out of Barron's, titled, A Right-Leaning Court Will Tackle Some Big Business Cases. The Outcomes Aren't Obvious. Um, they look like they're going to be getting another uh, justice to the court um, after Bader's passing. Um, he wants to put someone in place that are going to um, chip away at regulatory powers it notes, restrain consumer rights, and handling victories to companies on a host of issues. So there is much that's going to be debated and up. Um, Alphabet and Oracle over copyright, software copyright. Oracle claims Alphabet owes its $9 billion for code that Google used in its Android operating system. Um, but they're saying fair use legal principles goes against that. Um, also, that's on there is Facebook defending itself over potential fines for robocalls. 
Ford Motor says it shouldn't face liability for a car crash in Montana. And Cargill and Nestle are co-defending claims that they abetted child slave labor in Africa, addressing corporate liability for human rights abuses outside the United States. The government's capacity to levy fines for corporate wrongdoing is also being challenged. And also the Affordable Care Act, which one could see that because based on your compensation at most places is whether or not you qualify or where you qualify for the ACA. So that could have a big impact on you know, health insurance and the changes and everything with that that goes along with all that. The tech industry has an anti-trust uh, case um, against Alphabet. The DOJ, the Department of Justice, against Alphabet. A suit against Facebook may be coming. And antitrust probes underway against Amazon. And uh, anti-competitive pricing uh, there at the App Store by Apple. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, um, there's a lot of changes that are going to be coming in terms of business, technology, finance, economy, all that kind of stuff. Um, and in the Apple case, Kavanaugh and Gorsuch split off on their decisions. And they're saying that even a conservative philosophy doesn't mean a pro-business outcome always. Um which is something interesting to note again because, you know, they, they they differ on on the way they look at things, the way they see things, logic, everything like that. They have to have explanations and stuff behind their actions. So it's very interesting to see, you know, and sometimes, you know, unintended consequences come that are actually beneficial when maybe a side of is in there that maybe doesn't go along with with what what people want maybe the majority wants but's necessary um long term in a variety of ways the the good outweighs the bad and and the way they look at it or they see that decision um there is a lot of changes, there's a lot of things coming up that will impact uh, workers' compensation in these industries. Um, so we'll see. This next story comes out of uh, ednc.org, perspective, so it's an opinion, elevating the teacher pay penalty on the state and national agenda. In the latest analysis last week, the Washington-based Economic Policy Institute calculates the teacher pay penalty in North Carolina at 25.3%, the highest among the states, eighth, eighth highest among the states. The penalty is the gap between teacher salaries and the wages of comparable college-educated professionals which describes itself as a think tank. The, folk, the EPI describes itself as a think tank focuses on economic condition of low- and middle-income income Americans. Um, you know, there's the debate over teacher pay centers on the state's average salary rankings. Have they moved up or down um, Carolina? Because this is where it's based out of. 
and the EPA EPI report he goes to note the author of this opinion piece notes perspective piece notes that embedded in the worsening teacher wage penalty is the opportunity cost of choosing a career in teaching as wages and compensation of teachers fall further behind that of other professionals, it becomes harder to attract students to retain and teachers in the profession. These inequalities must be addressed if we were to ensure that the brightest, most highly skilled professionals are ahead of each and every classroom and to retain experienced teachers in the mix. EPI um, says that the wage gap widened substantially since the mid-1990s and narrowed somewhat in the 2019. National pay penalty fell from 22% to 19.2% in 2019, from 18 to 19. Um, public school teachers as public employees have stronger benefit packages than comparable private sector professionals. The teacher total compensation penalty was 10.2% in 2019. Um, the wage penalty offset by a benefits advantage. Um, but it, the EPI report does not do a state-by-state -state analysis of benefits, which is very important because it's very different. Um, but uh, they do note that women teachers now earn 13.2% less than peer professionals. In contrast, the teacher wage penalty for men is 30.2% explaining, says EPI, to a large degree why one in four teachers are men. So fewer men teachers. So there's a lot that... People kind of have to give up to get into education or nonprofit. You got to look at it. Um for more than one angle and that's something important to remember if you are going into education or into a field similar like education like maybe a public employee at government state government or local or federal whatever um or even a university um you know you give up some in pay or raises but you make up maybe in retirement and benefits and or the freedom of, I mean, the freedom of the, the summer vacation they get, or the freedom to work on your own schedule in that summer vacation, whether or not you want to get a part-time job or, or pursue something else, I mean, or, or make money uh, some other way during that period of time. I mean, that is something that is, I think, kind of overlooked here. Um you know that yeah teachers teachers don't get paid as much as other professionals but but again teachers are working um 9 months out of the year and then there's two two week vacation in the december uh two week or a week in the a week during around holiday time and thanksgiving a week during spring break um, they work around 170, give or take, some days a year. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of moonlighting, which I think we've talked about in the past here in Critical Compensation. Um, so yeah, there is a lot of advantage to being a teacher. 
and then there are so are some you know disadvantages and and the, that's what an individual has to weigh but i don't know it'd be interesting to learn more about the the male teachers like they said one in four aren't are are teachers um compared to women so i mean i don't know is it a penalty you know quote unquote I mean, you sign up for it, you have opportunities outside of there to to do work as well or pursue a business or or a blog or, or like you're a podcast. I mean, I don't know. So the next story uh, comes out of a, a HR a dive. It's a brief. Microsoft to pay $3 million to job applicants to resolve hiring bias claims. $3 million in back pay and interest to 12, 1,229 applicants to resolve alleged allegations of discriminatory hiring practices by the Department of Labor's office. They announced this on September 18th. Found discrimi- hiring discrimination against Asian, African American, and Hispanic applicants in positions ranging from premier field engineer to solution specialist to software engineering during routine compliance evaluation. The agency alleged that the the federal contractors violated an executive order that forbids contractors from discriminating in employment. While not admitting error or liability, Microsoft, too, among other things, proactively enhanced future compliance. Um... You know, the Bank of America, Dell, and Goldman Sachs entered into settlements totaling $20 million, resolving pay discrimination claims last year. Uniform and facilities management companies, Sunitas, also settled hiring discrimination claims. Microsoft OFCCP also entered into an agreement in August with Wells Fargo that called for the financial science services to make almost 600 job officers offers to applicants and pay $7.8 million in back wages and interest to settle allegations that the company discriminated against 34,193 African-American applicants in several types of positions and 308 female applicants in administrative support positions. This is rampant, right? And it's the OFCCP that enforces these laws, that makes it illegal for federal contractors and subcontractors to discriminate uh, based on the basis of race, color, religion, sex, sexual orientation, gender identity, national origin, disability, or veteran status. Federal contractors and subcontractors employ nearly 25% of America's workforce. They, uh... They need to create diverse hiring panels, establish a set of standard interview questions, and temporarily removing identifying information in resume and applications. These are recommendations from experts, HR dive notes. So, I mean, this is a rampant problem. And it's a problem because um, it goes both ways, right? These people that applied, maybe they didn't have the same amount of skills or the same amount of experience 
as someone that wasn't in one of those categories that they determined was this way. It's altogether possible. But just because, say, you know, somebody has a master's and they might be white and then there's somebody that has, you know, a bachelor's and they're black and they're going for the same spot and they pick the person with the master's, well, it's not, it's because they have a master's. It's not because they're white. And it's not like they didn't pick the person that had the bachelor's because they were black. It's because they had the, the, the preference that the employer was looking for. They were looking for the person with the master's. Um, it's not to excuse and say that that's always the case and how they're looking at things. And, and obviously there's discrimination out there, but how do you tell if it's as widespread as it, as it seems to be, or if it, which there's implicit bias, I'm sure that goes along with all this sort of thing. And there's, you know, there, there's more than one person that looks at usually, that generally looks at hiring so, I mean, is it a combination? Is it partially experienced, partially um, discrimination? I don't know. There's a lot of reports out there that, that focus on those subjects of whether women are minority, and rightfully so. But at the same time, what is it? what is the data saying? Is it, is it, is what they're getting back or what they're deducing from the data is it reflective of the data? Or is it as widespread in some areas more than it is others? I don't know. It's something that I've always wondered and something that always makes me question studies, and that's with anything. That's what we try to do here at Critical Compensation, ask these kind of questions, talk about these kind of subjects. Because um, a lot of times it's just taken as, as oh, well, that that's true. And I see it a lot of time in colleges. Oh, um, you know, these statistics came out, and oh, look, so that means, you know, women are making um, 70 cents to the dollar a man makes. Well, no, it's not, because in an uncontrolled, that is true, but in a controlled, it's not. So what about that? Who knows? It's very confusing at times, and that's why... Like to present these kind of stories because, like we found out here with this episode and last episode, we we get other stories that link up with that, and it grows our understanding of compensation and how it kind of develops and the changes and everything. Next story is out of Vice. Um, Uber, Lyft give California GOP millions while fighting driver reclassification. Another example. We've talked about this one. The yes on Proposition Twenty Two gave $2 million to the California Republican Party last Friday. Yes on Proposition 22 campaign, bankrolled by Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, Instacart, and Postmate, Postmates to permanently protect themselves from reclassing California drivers as employees, has donated $2 million to the California's Republican Party. Wow. So, these companies, and I'm going to read them off again, Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, Instacart, Postmates are donating. We don't need to go into the backstory. We have already know what this is about. Donating to the GOP. Um, so that they don't have to give their employees benefits. So they don't even really have to call them 
their employees are contractors, right? That's what they want. Um, but again, we know what this does. It it doesn't doesn't help out unemployment pools, uh, money pools. It doesn't give people access to health care. Doesn't give people access to, um, you know, looking like they have stable employment. Yeah, there's benefits to people who are retired or people that want to work part time or set their own schedule. And yes, those those benefits are nice, but some people that 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 work for these companies, um, they don't get that they work full time for these companies. They don't get those those benefits. They don't get those those uh, protections that full-time employees get and these people are full-time employees they're working 40 hours a week um they're they're driving a lot so i mean wow they're really going to start donating to the gop to try to stop all this it's it's you know unsurprising but at the same time it's it's what it boils down to you know Donate to these politicians. These politicians will stop wages. The GOP will stop wages. Um, or stop people from getting benefits. Help these companies that exploit these workers and take advantage of them. Help them just stay in uh, the, the stat with the status quo like it's been for ten, ten, a decade, ten years, however long. Um, and we're just now having this conversation, and it's it's a conversation that's now being had because of multiple political and multiple uh, climate, you know, that's in the air right now. The whole talk about wages and higher wages and strikes and boycotts and protests and it's accumulation of kind of everything, and what people are protesting against is um, what these companies are donating to. Then the politicians they put in there put in all these measures to do whatever and and people don't like it and then they, they fight back. And this is something that has happened throughout the course of history and it's continued to happen and and what it and what wages and money is to do is to stop that, that you know that conflict physical and protest stop that conflict so in order to get that tamed down what you've seen in response is all these people raising wages giving better benefits um, more flexible work more flexible payroll like we were talking about in the last episode, uh, more more money, and like we talked about in the last episode, the places, the businesses that are scrambling, um, the the changes in compensation that are continually occurring as a result of the pandemic, and the result of the protests, and the result of Floyd, and the result of Donald, and the result of Sanders, and the result of et cetera, et cetera. Right, it's that the result of really the probably the Great Recession, the result of um, income inequality, the result of 
you know, differences in workplaces, differences in living, differences in education, difference, these differences that are coming more and more clear to people, these differences that are continually um, noted in compensation and living conditions here abroad in our own communities amongst one another. It's interesting. And it's something here at Critical Compensation that we're going to continue to cover. We're going to continue to talk about. We're going to continue to advocate against these sort of companies that are bankrolling these uh, politicians to pass legislation that is against the working people and their quest for at least some dignity and respect in their workplace and in their labor. But it's a fight that'll continue and as these companies grow bigger and stronger, so will the opposition and the number of pop people in the population. So this is something we will find out more about and see you next week on Critical Compensation. Thank you for tuning in. If you like our work, subscribe and please donate.